Welcome to Whatever Wednesday. I believe your church uh, got burgled. Yeah, we're still feeling the aftershocks of a visit from Mike. So <laughs> the disaster continues. Uh, yeah, we got robbed. Man, I love it. Can't believe it. So what you've had a you've had a car go through your wall. You've been robbed twice. Uh, yeah. folks, so don't go to the first time I visited your church. We got robbed. Then when you <laughs> came down to our church, we got crashed into. And then one week after you had left, we got robbed again. <laughs> so the, <laughs> what's coming next? Oh, <laughs> boy, that's crazy. No, you're never coming back. That's all I can say. Man, that's uh, that's something here. It's like I'm mean, robbing a church. I don't know. You just sort of you think that there'll be some sort of line that doesn't get crossed you know i mean did you have that when you were growing up like you don't swear inside a church yeah you just there's some sort of thing about you know that yeah totally would like you, i, I wouldn't have you? stolen a bible or something you know it just yeah. it's just there's some sort of sacred something maybe i don't know actually i probably would have in fact now that i think about it i did so, <laughs> <laughs> well, it was a good thought while it lasted did, uh, did you also smoke the bible no, <laughs> but it did. I did. Uh, I was high the entire time I read the Bible the first time. Yeah. So you were, you were too nervous to use the Bible as Rizzler's Rizzler paper. <laughs> the thought wouldn't have even crossed my mind. I suppose I just never had a shortage of Rizzler's. You know, they were pretty cheap. Yeah, Gideon's was like the perfect size. You know, little pocket Gideon's. Oh, no. yeah. <laughs> wow. Did you do that? Yeah. Yeah. Oh man, that's yeah. All right. So there is a line and people cross it, is what we're saying. Yeah. But you, you did feel bad. You know, you did still have the sense of fear. You know, there is a God. I'm doing this because I want to try and show that I'm being extra cool. You mm-hmm. know? Mm-hmm. And if you're wrong, you're seriously wrong. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. so so a lot of action in Timur, Um And your, your laptop got stolen. Yeah, all my work, all my... Uh, Sermons, Bible studies, even my assignments from Bible college were on there. Oh, but have you not got them anywhere else? I've got a few backups, but they're pretty dated. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Oh, sorry to hear it, man. That's that's terrible. Hey, I suppose we've got to move on. Just keep going, eh? Yeah. Wow. So there's a, you keep it all on Dropbox from now on, though. Yeah, I suppose, eh? You gotta just roll with the. Keep it in the cloud. Keep it in the cloud, man. There's gotta be. You gotta get some benefit out of the crazy world we live in. You know, the cloud's probably one of them. Yeah. And then, and then uh, Google has access to all your sermon notes as well, and Facebook can access That's your right. sermon notes. And you Big can... brother can uh, get saved. <laughs> exactly. All right, man. So it's whatever Wednesday. Um, what yeah. are we talking about today? I know we only really can talk theology. It's the only thing we can do. So. Well, uh, here's, here's a question for us to discuss. Uh, where do babies go when they die? Nice. Let's keep it light and um, just nice, <laughs> nice and easy for whatever Wednesday. Something simple just to Something throw simple. around. Yeah, totally. Um, well, uh, where do babies go when they die? I don't know. Um, I hate the subject. I hate even thinking about it. I, I don't even want to. It's it's terrible, you know. But I suppose we have to we have to look at it, huh? Uh, where yep. do babies go when they die, Nick? Um, well, I can give you a couple of views. I can tell you a story about a guy I spoke to. 
So mm-hmm. let me, let me uh, put this past you and you tell me what you think. So this mm-hmm. guy said that only ba- uh, all babies that die go to hell. Mm-hmm. Because if God wanted them to go to heaven, they would have been born in order to hear the gospel and believe. Right. Wow. It, what do you it's, think of that? It's exactly the opposite of what we would go with, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> It's, it's exactly, yeah, interesting. Um, Pure opposite. Yeah. So, the, I mean, the, the sort of the nutshell in there is, you know, it's all about the faith. Without right. faith, no one can get saved, yes. you know. Um, so, so, God is bound by the whole faith issue. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, and if you, I think if you've sort of worked through Calvinism and have come to a more... Uh, maybe like a, a logically forced version of it, a borderline hyper-Calvinism, a kind of almost uh, depersonalized view of the sovereignty of God. I think, I think that you could probably force yourself into a view like that, you know, if you've just sort of crossed that line anyway. Um, because if it's just down to kind of, uh, you know, there's got to be some sort of train of logic. Well, you know, I suppose they have that. Um, it's true. Faith is super important. And if it, you know, if it is bound up uh, to that issue, then I suppose there's only one way to work it out. Um, and you've already said, you know, millions die in darkness, um, you know, as as a Calvinist, you already buy into predestination. You already don't understand how that works fully, but you believe it. And so, yeah, I mean, I could see how, you know, someone who wasn't careful with their view of, of God's sovereignty could go there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then you've got uh, Calvin himself who would say, all the children of believers are covenant children mm-hmm. and are automatically elect by virtue of their uh, connection to the covenant through their parents. Mm-hmm. And he was agnostic with regards to the children of unbelievers. So he took a clear stance on right. the parent, uh, the children of believers, mm-hmm. but was agnostic on unbelievers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, almost like a kind of just fresh out of Rome vibe in that, you know, just get, get grace on the baby, uh, get some water on the baby. And, uh, and, and everything's sweet. If not, well, no yeah. hope at all. Yeah. Then, yeah. then you had some other views uh, held by Calvinists and Puritans where um, there were definitely non-elect babies that definitely went to hell, and there were definitely elect babies that went to hell, and yeah. it wasn't necessarily the connection with parents that determined it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so there was, uh, you know, Jacob have I loved, Esau have I hated, mm-hmm. being the textual grounds for another view. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So a clear uh, reprobation for yeah. some infants. Yeah, good. Well, I think um, I think for um, for Calvinists, and you know, obviously we we follow uh, the idea of of election and reprobation at some level. We um, we believe in uh, total depravity. We believe that you know God is just in sentencing us all to condemnation. And really, the question is, why would He save any? So you know, again, you can see how. All of those views kind of find their way through Calvinistic thinking. I suppose the big thing for me, and the way that I, I know, I remember we had a chat about this, like I know, probably the that that first sort of weekend when we uh, met. But um, <laughs> I don't know if you remember that, but yeah, that, it, that first ten-hour conversation where I didn't <laughs> Yeah, right. Exactly. Right after we sorted out exactly what was going on with the Trinity, you know, <laughs> we went straight into <laughs> and this and the Sabbath and eternal separation. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Well, I don't think I have changed my view since then in that um, I see something really important going on 
Uh, I believe Kelvin sort of laid the seedbed for this, and then Spurgeon definitely took it on to the next level. But um, you you see a kind of you know we believe in total depravity, that's for sure. We believe everyone deserves to be thrown in, in you know into a, an eternal condemnation with without any worries to God's justice, um, yeah. and certainly God would be just in doing that. And yet we find this interesting phenomenon. Uh, in Scripture, in that you don't see it happening, uh, God, God, always is uh, spelling out judgment via the prophetic writings for things that are committed, actual sins. Um, and so, I suppose that that sort of thing got Kelvin thinking. Hey, well, we have to make a, a distinction at some level between inheritance guilt and actual guilt. And although both render us guilty. Um, it is also true that there is something of a, uh, a difference in the way that you know the, these uh, prophetic words come to us, and and if 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 you are going to limit yourself to scripture, strictly speaking, then you know it, it'd be wise to limit your view of what God judges to where He says He judges, you know, um, and um, and so that just sort of puts it into some careful biblical constraints, and then of course you have things where. You know that allude that they're not. I don't think they're strong cases, but you know things like uh, you know with in Romans where it talks about a, a a reality of condemnation that fall upon all men. And I know I feel this because I use it all the time. You know, people ask, well, what about those people that don't use hear the gospel? Are they going to go to hell? And typically, the response there, and I believe this is true, is that no one goes to hell for not hearing the gospel. They go to hell for uh, knowing that God exists, suppressing the truth in all unrighteousness. And yeah. um, and you know sinning against the living God again and again and again, and um, and that is largely coming out of one eighteen in Romans, um, and you know the the thing is if if that that is a real thing then it's also true that if you don't recognize or you have not yet come to an age of of uh, you know understanding so to speak um and you have not comprehended the invisible qualities of god and his divine nature uh you know whatever that whenever that is you know um uh then then maybe there is something there in that text that speaks of a kind of um um, I suppose loophole, you know, um, uh, for for lack of a better expression, and um, and yeah, so definitely. all of those things accumulatively, I suppose, just just sort of weigh in on the question of of what w- what would happen to a baby, and I suppose what I, I remember what what I said to you back in the day, and what I feel now when people still ask me is that I feel like I don't know, but I feel like if I had to take all those things into account, I feel a slight weightedness towards the idea that um, if someone dies in their infancy or is unable, you know, through a, a, a mental handicap or whatever it is to to uh, to fulfill the criteria of being judged in actual guilt, then um, it's likely that the Christ who can save sovereignly um, has saved them and and has uh, uh, not not condemned them, um, and through their inability, they do exactly what you said just now. Exactly the opposite. We, you know, they show by their inability to comprehend their election rather than their non-election, and um, and so yeah, it's it's not a foolproof case, but it's it's something. Yeah, and look, I've uh, I'd agree with you one hundred percent. Al Mola, for example, he teaches that. Uh, Children dying in infancy mm-hmm. do not qualify for the judgment according to works because they don't have works by which they can be judged. Yeah, uh, the Bible nowhere says that we are condemned to eternal hell. 
in Adam, mm-hmm. but that uh, each of our own books of life is opened and our own works, our own words, our own thoughts are weighed. And um, so the question is, if a baby hasn't done deeds in order to qualify for a judgment according to works, where do they stand? Mm. And we would say, in the hands of the judge of the earth who will do what is right. Yeah, yeah, um, amen. Amen. Yeah, and then of course I think it's John Piper who took the Romans one, you know, that God judges according to knowledge. Yeah, uh, the bushman who's never heard the gospel is judged according to the knowledge that he suppresses. And the question in, is, um, well, how much knowledge does the baby have? Yeah, exactly. And, you know, what sort of judgment can God bring to bear on a on a child that's never been taught anything? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think the big worry against that view. I mean, I think I think the catchphrase that Spurgeon used was. You know, infants uh, dying in their infancy show by their death that they are elect. You know, and and the, and the big the big worry, I suppose, that everyone had was that we're undermining the doctrine of original sin and total depravity, right? Yeah, and inherited well, guilt. And, and I think what we're alluding to is that, um, based on what the Bible reveals about all the qualifications and conditions for judgment, um, and knowing the character of God. That his grace would intervene. Yeah. Totally. Um, and being Calvinists, we don't have weird conditionalism yes. that God needs our faith in order to save us. We believe that regeneration precedes faith. Totally. Uh, so, you know, we, there's a door wide open for God's grace to work. Right. Totally. A very, very important point. Uh, and really, it, it kind of, you're stuck if, well, I suppose as an Arminian, you know, you're going to go in completely different directions. But yeah, I mean, I think that's super important that God doesn't need you to express your faith to save you, you know. Uh, but it's true that if you are saved, you will always express your faith should you be given that opportunity. Um, and so... Uh, yeah, I mean, th- that that really does leave the question open. And we're not sort of cupping out on our own theology. And uh, we're not bound up, as we said earlier, to that, that concept that, you know, there must be an expression of faith in order for regeneration to take place or even uh, for us to, to know that. I mean, it's obviously true that, um, well, you know, I, I think this is where it sort of hit the road, I suppose. But, you know, when you see someone who can profess credibly their faith, uh, you're able to just take the full weight of, of, of doctrine and just assure them, you know, of their, according to that credible profession, they, they will indeed be, be saved. The, the issue is that we work blind with someone who cannot or has not yet uh, expressed faith. But, but what we're saying, again, is just that um, when in those kinds of situations, when we, when we are working blind and there is a, uh, our theology allows us to assume the best and to not have any limitations on what God can do at that point, which I think is, is absolutely massive. Yeah. It's, also, um, it's also, I think, better to have that view than uh, a weird sort of infant Baptist sentimental kind of pseudo-Roman Catholic vibe, you know, that, that um, you know, I mean, it's like then you get into all sorts of trouble when you when you go in that direction, and it's interesting when you when you know when infant Baptists debate uh, credo Baptists, they tend not to bring that up. They they don't want to talk. I don't know. If my experiences are that they don't want to bring up the whole hey, well, you know, hey, you know, pastorally, this is a better position because they know that if they go down that track, I mean, they are just in very dangerous waters, you know, because they can't they can't take a presumptive regeneration covenantal view anyway. Um, yeah. And so, I mean, and, at the end of the day, if you're a Baptist and the, the Peter Baptists are right, your child is a covenant child, whether anyway, they're baptized yeah, or not. That's right. Totally. So it still doesn't matter. Yeah, that's is right. merely the sign. But yeah. So, yeah, they don't put it out because it, it has no traction in the argument. Yeah, totally. 
obviously, I mean, this is a, I mean, it's a, it's a very difficult, you know, I mean, pastorally, this would matter when, when, um, you know, you have everything from, from miscarriage through to birth as an, inf- uh, death as an infant, at least, and even Definitely. early childhood. I think, I mean, I, a lot of people debate, you know, when David's uh, child by Bathsheba's adultery yes. died. You know, um, I think it was Dale Ralph Davis, a very dependable commentator on the Old Testament, uh-huh. says, I will go to my child. He reckons that David is talking in the corporate sense of being gathered to his fathers. Um, yeah. But that never sat well with me. And no. I think there's a psychological change in David's mind. Yeah, you see it. It definitely comes across. Yeah. There's a sense of incredible peace. Uh-huh. And, uh, you know, in that sense of he will see his child. Yeah. Um, yeah, that, that's uh, so. I can only account for that, not to say that there's a, a didactic statement, but perhaps David, as a, a prophet who knew a bit more than we do, yeah, that's um, right. had an insight that we don't that, that we can take some encouragement from. Yeah, yeah, true. Yeah, you do see him mourn the death of you know, the child in terms of life, but yeah, in terms of moving on, you know, that, that once it's done, it's done, and he makes that statement at the critical point in the story, which is, uh, you know, it does indicate that he he was assured, you know, it's not like he he just brushed the issue off. He was assured that you know there there would be something to to look forward to there. Um, yeah. So and maybe yeah. just one more point to add yep. is um, there is a difference between babies dying in infancy mm-hmm. and the bushman, because the bushman is. Compass Mentis, he's exposed to general revelation. There is knowledge that he has on his heart and in creation that he is denying. Uh-huh. Um, and so his judgment is fixed on the basis of him denying what he knows. Yeah. The child doesn't qualify for that same sort of judgment because if you die, if a child dies in the womb, it hasn't had the same exposure to the knowledge of creation. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And they, they don't stand and fall together is the point. Yeah. Very much so. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, because that would be the other phobia that people have is that, you know, we open this thing up to some sort of weird universalism or, or just kind of, um, you know, weird kind of uh, Armenian track there. But but that's not, yeah, that's exactly right. Um, you, are, you are looking at deep condemnation as someone who has on a daily basis failed to worship the God that you know exists and have, you know, at every moment of your life suppressed the truth and unrighteousness. Yeah, in ways that you just can't say is true for an infant. Um, but, but yeah. you know, we all know it. We ex- existentially know it's true from our waking moments of consciousness. And so, uh, you know, w- whenever that is, and it's, you know, we're talking about infants, but we really could be talking about um, those who are mentally handicapped, I suppose, and never really come to that. Yeah. Um, so the mentally handicapped, I mean, the question is, well, what about their faith? And it has to come back to the Lord knows their competency level and will, the judge of the earth will do what is right according to what their their, uh, their ability is. Yeah, totally. Yeah, and again, I mean, in terms of, obviously it's very hard to generalize something like m- mental handicap because you've got so many gradations of that. And um, almost each individual circumstance is going to be totally unique. Um, but the same principle we're saying is applying at the end of the day. Uh, God, you know, if there's, it's not like God is bound by a confession of faith. God can save, even though that might not be able to be expressed. Um, and that's a, that's a super important point. You know, the, the 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 soul is not bound by the brain. You know what I mean? We're not, we're not, uh, and, and neither is God's sovereignty uh, bound by our ability to understand. Uh, what did you say earlier? I think uh, we're not saved by our orthodoxy and understanding. 
um, is another important point there as well. Um, you said by grace and faith is a fruit of regeneration. It's not the cause of it. Right. Yeah, totally. That's brilliant. So, I mean, that's um, hopefully helpful if anyone's thinking through that or has had a, um, one of those situations um, to consider in their lifetimes. Obviously, it's never pleasant, but, um, you know, usually you, you care deeply about the situation when you're thinking about these things. Um, who are people like um, we've mentioned Calvin, we've mentioned Spurgeon. Um, so I highly recommend the article on infant salvation by B.B. Warfield. Yes. So, okay, Peter cool. Warfield takes the same position that we do, yes. and he gives uh, an over a survey of all the views that everyone's held. Uh-huh. Uh, a super excellent survey. So Zwingli would have been the first person to have something similar to the view that we presently hold. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we are B.B. Warfield's article on infant salvation would be great. Al Mohler's got a great article on his website. John Piper's got some, some great thoughts on it as well. Mm-hmm. Um, those would be my recommendations. Totally. And it's it's good to know. You know, it's not the do-all and end-all. Um, you know, you've got to search this thing out in the Bible and come to your own conviction. But it's good to know that you got some pretty heavy hitters going for that. Um, you know, they don't seem like the sense of, well, certainly not B.B. Warfield. doesn't seem like he's the sentimental, sort of bound by sentimentalism, you know. And um, uh, the guy was ruthlessly moving uh, in accordance with his understanding of Scripture. So, yeah, just to have someone like that uh, weigh in on it and, um, and yeah, and Spurgeon, of course. Um, so, yeah, those are, those are good guys to check out and Piper even, you know. So that's good. I'm trying to trying to see what the... I mean, the thing with Piper is, of course, the whole sovereignty of God. He was so big on that. And, um, and uh, yeah, so you could see how, how it would be something that he would move into as well. And it's interesting that people that are um, strong on the sovereignty of God don't necessarily have to move in the, in the almost heartless direction, you know? It, and I think that's often the, the thing that deters people when they see... Calvinists talk about the sovereignty of God. It's almost like they've they've switched their the, the, in wrestling with the issue and acknowledging God is sovereign. They've they've somehow falsely concluded that okay, I'm going to be a Calvinist, which means I don't have to worry about God's love and justice and stuff like that anymore. He's just sovereign, and it almost becomes like an Islamic thing. But that's not the yeah. full picture. That's just not the whole Bible picture. It's, I mean, um, this is true. It's super encouraging. There will be millions of people in the new creation. I mean, mm. up until the 1900s. Uh, so many children died in childbirth. Well, I mean, think about abortion and the way it's moving ahead. You yeah, know, we're yeah. living in a in a day. I mean, it's just unprecedented. Yeah, so things like that. Yeah, totally. I mean, that, it's it helps. It does help. It yeah, and I would helps. say that um, anyone who's had a miscarriage, uh, this is encouraging theology. It brings them back to the character of God. It's a position of hope. Um, it's based on the sovereignty of God, the grace of God. Um, it squares with everything the Bible says about the judgment of God. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah, it's, it's a good position. Amen. So again, hope that helps you out, and uh, thanks for joining us uh, for Whatever Wednesday. Thanks, Nick. Cheers, man.